millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I've got a new word for you today, Richard, you non-scientist, you. Glyphosate. It's probably better known, and you may have actually used it in your garden under its brand name, Roundup. I certainly have. Roundup is the world's most widely sold herbicide used by farmers and home gardeners since 1974. And the question we're going to consider in this episode, Jim, is, is Roundup a blessing, a curse, or something in between? Questions about Roundup. Carrie Gillum. We have now a pesticide-dependent food production system that's been engineered by just a very handful of corporations that make billions of dollars off of these pesticides. There, I mean, there clearly is a, an international debate over this right now. It's a very hotly contested debate. Whose science do you believe? The problem is, in my mind, that Monsanto and the others in the chemical industry continue to try to say there is no debate. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? 11,200 and counting. The number of lawsuits filed so far claiming that Roundup causes cancer. A major trial is now underway in federal court in San Francisco, and more cases are likely. Tens of billions of dollars in sales and profits are at stake for Roundup manufacturer Monsanto and its European parent company, Bayer AG. In this case, a 70-year-old California man alleges that he developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma because he used Roundup on his property for many years. The trial is hearing a range of opinions. We're not going to be able to resolve this in today's show, but we do want to investigate some of the issues in the background of this and some of these other cases. Yeah, absolutely. And whether science is getting a fair hearing in investigating the health impacts of Roundup and other pesticides. Our guest is former Reuters correspondent and investigative journalist and today advocate Carrie Gillum. She's the author of Whitewash, the story of a weed killer, cancer and the corruption of science. The book won the Rachel Carson Book Award from the Society for Environmental Journalists, and Carrie joins us via Skype from Overland Park, Kansas. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you became so interested in food and pesticides. 
Sure. Well, I've been a journalist for 30 years, actually over 30 years. And uh, I, I really came to this beat because it was assigned to me. I was a banking reporter living in Atlanta, and Reuters asked me to move to Kansas and start writing about food and farming and agriculture. Monsanto had just introduced uh, in the 90s, of course, genetically engineered seeds, GMOs, and uh, they were all the rage. And so it was my job to dig in and learn about the competitive nature of this and how it was uh, reshaping agricultural practices. Your career has more or less coincided with the rise of GMOs and, and the chemicals that support GMO crops. And certainly Roundup is the ultimate example of that. It's been an incredibly successful product. It's used all over the world. Why is it so popular? Glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup as well as hundreds of other brands, weed killers, herbicides. Monsanto patented glyphosate in 1974 and brought it to the market. And even before Monsanto introduced genetically engineered crops, glyphosate or Roundup was a very um, well-embraced herbicide by farmers because it, it worked really, really well was very efficient and effective, and it was much safer than some of the other herbicides that farmers had been using. So you say in your book, however, that it's undeniable that we're allowing our food, our water, our soil, and our very selves to become dangerously doused with chemicals. Uh, that, that's a strong statement, isn't it? It's a pretty strong statement, but it's a well-documented statement. And as a journalist, you know, opinion, I've never really been oriented toward opinion. I'm oriented toward what the what the data, what the documents show us. And that is certainly what has happened. We have now a, a pesticide-dependent food production system that's been engineered by just a very handful of corporations that make billions of dollars off of these pesticides. And they're doing untold damage to human health and to the environment and glyphosate and Monsanto, I, I make the case in my book, they're really just sort of the poster child, if you will, for this problem. It's certainly not the only pesticide that we need to worry about, and Monsanto is not the only company that is, that is pushing these pervasive levels of pesticides. So in the case of glyphosate, let's look at why it's become so pervasive. Explain the whole concept of, of a crop being Roundup Ready. Sure. So, you know, you have to look at what was going on in the 1990s. Monsanto was making a lot of money off of its Roundup products, but its patent was expiring in the year 2000. And they had this really innovative technology as well that they sort of stumbled across, but that would allow them to take DNA, essentially genetic material, from uh, another species, um, not a plant species, but they and they could splice that into the DNA of certain crops. They found corn and soybeans, very popular crops in the U.S. And so essentially they were able to make these crops glyphosate tolerant. You could spray glyphosate weed killer right over the top of them and they wouldn't die. The weeds would, but the crops wouldn't. And this, you know, farmers just thought this was magical. You know, this made their life so much easier. You know, they didn't have to till their fields. They didn't have to very carefully time um, the, the spraying of these other types of herbicides or even glyphosate. They could just right right over the tops of their fields and they loved it but what happened um, and what monsanto had hoped would happen they laid it out for investors was that the combination of roundup ready crops with a roundup herbicide would become a very dominant force in the agricultural market and and it did and monsanto's 
uh, market share and volume increase of glyphosate products, you know, shot up. Uh, the use of those went from about 40 million pounds a year in the United States in the 90s to close to 300 million pounds a year now in the United States. And you've seen that same sort of rise around the world. So you once had 125 million pounds globally. Now you have 2 billion pounds a year globally. Tell us a little bit about Monsanto, which as you said, introduced the product um, more than 40 years ago and has since been taken over by a a large European company, Bayer AG, right? Yeah, so Bayer, they bought Monsanto in the summer of 2018, last summer. So it's now a a unit of Bayer. And and since then, the stock price of Bayer has gone down, I think, uh, around 30% because of all the concerns about glyphosate and Roundup? Yeah, on the uh, day of the first verdict, the first Roundup lawsuit that went to trial, the jury came back with a verdict of a $289 million award for Lee Johnson and against Monsanto. Yeah, and who was Lee Johnson? Lee Johnson is a groundskeeper. He worked for the Benicia School District, you know, up in the area near San Francisco, California, and he worked spraying Roundup products, something called Ranger Pro, as well as Roundup, sprayed it pretty regularly around all of the different schools in the district and developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma. You say the EPA, which regulates pesticides, has approved uh, industry requests for higher and higher allowable levels of glyphosate residues in, in, in food, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's different for every um, crop. They've done it for oats. They've done it for wheat. They've done it for corn and soy. Anything that is expected to contain glyphosate residues, if it's going to be consumed, it is required to have an EPA tolerance set for it. So the Environmental Protection Agency, and they don't just do this for glyphosate. You know, It's for every pesticide that's expected to show up in food that we consume. EPA will set a level that they say is is something that can be considered safe. And the, the irony of it all, or the thing that is concerning, is the EPA, you see the arbitrariness of these levels that we're supposed to you know, take as being safe, yet they can change if the company asks the EPA to change them. And you have another example with a, an insecticide called chlorpyrifos, which is marketed by Dow Chemical. And you had levels that the EPA told us all were very safe for years and years and years, safe in our food, safe in our drinking water, until a few years ago when the science caught up or or the the EPA caught up to the science and said, you know what, we were wrong, sorry, there's now no safe level in our drinking water or in our food. Today, you're the research director for the nonprofit group U.S. Right to Know. What is U.S. Right to Know? Yes, Right to Know is a really little, tiny nonprofit group that pretty much does nothing other than seek out Freedom of Information Act uh, documents. So my job is primarily to, to collect documents from the EPA, the FDA, the USDA, our National Institutes of Environmental Health Sciences, some information from the CDC and the, and the NTP, National Toxicology Program. Um, And my colleagues collect documents from uh, academic institutions from different universities. So we're really trying to just get at the meat of the matter, uh, if you would. Um, 
to look at how policy is formulated and what the data shows us about food and uh, chemicals uh, in, in America today and, and what they might be doing and how that compares to what the science tells us about the impacts of these chemicals in our food. So it's almost like a kind of detective work. What's an example of something that you fought really hard to get that, that was uh, revealing or, or particularly useful? Uh, well, the EPA, I've had to sue them twice in the last two years to garner about 10,000 documents that, that, you know, they should not have fought me over, but they did. Um, but one of the most interesting things I didn't have to fight for the FDA just handed over internal emails that showed that one of their chemists had been looking for glyphosate residues in honey and found uh, all the honey samples he pulled from store shelves had high levels of glyphosate, this weed killer in them, higher than what is considered legal or illegal in the European Union. And what would be considered illegal here in the United States if we had a legal limit, which we don't. (laughs) And he reported that to his supervisors, and his supervisors basically told him to go away and not worry about it, did the same thing with oatmeal, supervisors again told him not to talk about it and then they reassigned him so that he would not be allowed to do any more residue testing whatsoever so that's what you see coming out of the fda has there been a fundamental change with the fda and the epa since the obama administration well sure but with the trump administration you've seen definitely a move away from regulation i mean they talk about that it's not a secret uh, wanting to loosen restrictions on a number of companies, chemical and pesticide companies among them. Dow Chemical, for instance, this insecticide I talked to you about, chlorpyrifos, which the EPA has said is no level is safe in our food or, and water. And yet, if you look at the FDA report, it's the 11th most prevalent pesticide found in our food right now. Um, it was supposed to be banned. The Obama administration had said it should be banned completely from agricultural use because it is so dangerous to human health. Um, but the Trump administration came in and sat down and met with Dow Chemical and took some money from Dow Chemical for the inaugural fund for President Trump, and the ban went away. Well, you've raised the, the influence of money. Is scientific research at universities being impacted by, by corporate money? Yes, Certainly, research programs at universities you know, rely pretty heavily on outside funding. Taxpayer dollars doesn't cut it. Uh, and so they're taking corporate money for various different programs. And you do see examples where those corporations are wanting to influence and direct research. And you also see examples where they're bringing professors sort of into their fold and sending money directly to these professors for their research programs in exchange for those professors helping support policy initiatives and, um, you know, public messaging uh, that promotes the safety of the company's products. It's, It's very alarming when you look at what's going on behind the scenes. Let's look into what's going on with all these cases against Monsanto involving cancer and uh, glyphosate. The The allegation is that it causes non-Hodgkin lymphoma in, in some cases. What's the evidence, what's the scientific evidence that it does? 
Well, so the International Agency for Research on Cancer, it is an arm of the World Health Organization. And what they do is they bring in top scientists, top cancer scientists from around the world to sit together and to look at the body of published peer-reviewed research on various substances that we're commonly exposed to. So they took a look at glyphosate, what they determined to be the classification of a probable human carcinogen. And the epidemiology, which are the human experiments, showed a connection specifically to non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And so all of the litigation is limited to plaintiffs who are being diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, you know, there are, other, there are other scientific studies that show reproductive concerns and, you know, problems with gut bacteria and your immune system and all that sort of thing. But this is specific to non-Hodgkin lymphoma. That said, according to the National Cancer Institute, the, the rate of non-Hodgkin lymphoma cases has stayed fairly level since 1992. If the use of Roundup was really causing this form of cancer, wouldn't that rate have gone up, given that there's so many farmers, so many people using Roundup? Who would know that? And I'd have to see what you're looking at uh, as oh. well. Death rates have certainly um, stayed level. I don't know if new new diagnoses have uh, as well. So we would have to definitely look at that. But that is something that is definitely being argued in court. Um, you know, Monsanto is Monsanto's trying to make that point, um, saying, listen, you know, there should be a direct correlation. My book doesn't take the position on whether or not this causes cancer. I don't take a position on whether or not it causes cancer. Uh, I think there are people smarter in the world who can figure that out. Um, but what I do take a position on is truth and transparency and what the documents clearly show uh, dating back to the 1980s, the early 1980s. Is is a campaign to deceive? Certainly, you know a wide range of factors need to be be uh, taken into account here. But but to but to be fair to the industry, there is a there is a widespread debate. Um, you know, perhaps not all of it funded by Monsanto. There, I mean, there clearly is a, an international debate over this right now. It's a very hotly contested debate. Whose science do you believe? The problem is in my mind, that Monsanto and the others in the chemical industry continue to try to say there is no debate. And they continue to try to say that, you know, only their position is right and only their experts are, are valid and only the science that they support is right and that there should not be uh, a considered analysis of risk versus reward. Uh, and that's just not right. That's just not the way policy should be made. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Megas. And we'll be talking a little bit about solutions and then our conversation coming right up. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Carrie Gillum, we're going we're gonna to look at solutions. And I suppose one solution, which, which we often refer to uh, in our show, is how do um, other countries do it? For instance, how does Europe compare with the U.S. In, in regulating pesticides? And are there lessons to be learned? Well, what I've seen with, with glyphosate in particular and, and just from visiting Europe and talking to regulators and farmers and others, um, I mean, you start off from a different place. You start off from they really want to prove that something is safe before they use it. In the United States, our standard is unless we have proof that it's dangerous, we're going to allow it. It's going to be used. And so we'll argue for decades over whether or not it's dangerous. Um, Europe has tried to take a different stance. For instance, they already banned years ago POEA, which is an ingredient, a surfactant that Monsanto used very commonly in its Roundup formulations. Um, And it is, in fact, the formulations, more so than glyphosate, that is thought to be so detrimental to human health because of this combination. Um, So they've already banned it. And they very narrowly um, just granted a five-year window of approval for glyphosate. Uh, They almost banned it entirely at the end of 2016. Um, They don't allow widespread um, cultivation of genetically engineered crops. There's not a lot then of spraying over the top of crops with glyphosate. Um, So, you know, they they have a more protective view, I think, of their natural resources and of the role that that food plays in human health. Looking at the United States, uh, among the suggestions that you make in your book, you talk about some of the incentives that the, U- that the U.S., especially the Department of Agriculture, gives to farmers to pursue certain kinds of crops. You say they're confusing and often contradictory, and maybe we're pushing farmers too much to concentrate on the crops where these kinds of practices are, are very widespread, particularly corn. So what would you change well, there are a number of farmers right now that I'm I'm following, and, and they're in the Midwest, and they're trying to figure out ways to grow corn and soy and wheat, but, but also an assortment of other crops, and do it using fewer pesticides. And they're not doing it necessarily because they're worried about human health. They are, but they're also recognizing and worried about environmental health, because even if you set aside all of the different problems that pesticides cause for human health. And you can look at the agricultural health study and you can see, you know, how they track with prostate and breast and Parkinson's and all these sorts of things. But even if you set all that aside, the environment cannot be sustained when you're using the same pesticides over and over and over. And this is why we've developed weed resistance with glyphosate and insect resistance uh, with the different insecticides and why we're having to use more and more fertilizers because the soil has become so unhealthy and the nutrients have been so killed off. So what these farmers are trying to do is, is work with Mother Nature instead of against Mother Nature. What a lot of people would like to see is, is instead of subsidies for farmers to just plant corn, 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 corn and spray it and spray it and spray it and spray it, and spray it how about we develop uh, programs, research programs for farmers who are trying to do something different, rotate their crops, plant cover crops, 
use different row spacing, use different techniques. And, and there's, so there's a lot of people that are, are pushing for those types of programs. And the USDA has given out some grant money to these farmers and there is a movement in that direction. Um, USDA even has some of their research people out in the fields spanning across the Midwest trying to teach farmers to use less pesticide um, because they see the environmental headaches that, that this is creating. Carrie Gillum, author of Whitewash, thanks very much for joining us. Well, um, thank you for having me. One thing that surprised me about this, Jim, when we started researching the show is how little media coverage is being given to the trial and the whole question of the safety uh, of Roundup. Uh, I think that the debate, at least, should have more publicity, and it's a big reason why we decided to do this show. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the core principles of her organization and her work is this idea that we need more transparency in these questions. And, you know, I couldn't agree more about that. That said, a trial like this is the worst way to determine the science of how these things work. I mean, bringing a, um, a case of you know, does X cause cancer? It's such a complicated epidemiological study. And juries are naturally swayed by their sympathy for, uh, you know, for these sad cases and these victims. So it'll be interesting to see where the trial goes. But the question of whether this chemical is safe shouldn't be decided in a court of law. It should be decided by scientists around the world doing the research. And and it's quite likely that, you know, that research needs to be continued. This chemical is used so pervasively around the world that even if it's quite safe, and in most of the evidence seems to be that it's pretty darn safe, even if it's dangerous in small ways, that those ways could really add up. So I'm all in favor of continuing research. And there's no question that, that corporations have a lot more money to throw at this than do, say, nonprofit foundations. Yes. Of course, there's money being thrown at this from both sides because you also have opponents of um, – of um, of these crops and these businesses who also have interest in, in funding debate. Ultimately, I think we need to make sure the, tra- the science is transparent, and she raises some really interesting and uncomfortable cases. The very fact that she has to drag a lot of this uh, material out of the EPA, for example, with, with Freedom of Information Act requests, you know, this stuff should be more openly available. We shouldn't be having the sense that our government or anybody else is hiding stuff from us. So I'm, I'm really on board with that. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Thanks for joining us. We're a production of Davies Content. If you want to find out more about making podcasts, check out our website, DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.